0: Well, good morning, Horizon. It's good to see you. You know, several years ago, I had a chance to fly fish with Chuck Farneth. Now, I know that name doesn't mean anything to you, but you need to know that Chuck was the ESPN fly fishing champion and was considered the best in the world when it comes to fly fishing. Now, I was a novice, so you can imagine my excitement getting to go fly fishing With Chuck. And the first thing I learned from Chuck is having the right equipment is critical if you're going to be successful fly fishing. And one piece of equipment that I had never considered purchasing, it was a pair of polarized sunglasses. Now, polarized sunglasses are constructed in such a way that they filter out the light coming from the sun reflected off the water. In fact, with a pair of polarized glasses, you can actually look and appear appear beneath the surface of the water to see what's going on. And knowing what's going on below the surface can tell you if you're fishing in the right spots. And I've learned that if you tend to fish in places that fish congregate, it greatly enhances your ability to catch your fish. So Chuck told me about polarized glasses and said, here, try mine. Gave me his, I put them on, and I was amazed. I mean, I could see everything going on under the surface. I could see the trout swimming by the big one over there. I mean, it was as crystal clear as could be. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if there were a pair of glasses we could put on that would allow us to see beneath the circumstances of life A set of lenses that would allow us to peer through the fog, the confusion, to see beneath the surface of life and interpret for us an accurate picture of what God is doing, what He's up to. Now, that's where I think Joseph is right now in the text we'll be looking at in a few minutes. Now, as we've been studying the book of Genesis, specifically looking at the life of Joseph, uh, we have seen that Joseph has had more than his fair share of pain and confusing experiences. I mean, life hasn't turned out the way he hoped it would, but Joseph has been learning. He's been learning to look at life through a God-is-with-me lens rather than a woe-is-me lens. I mean, Joseph... Uh, has become a man who doesn't interpret life through its circumstances. He doesn't let the circumstances of life define him, but instead allows the reality of God to define who he is. In fact, if you'll turn with me to Genesis 41, you'll see exactly what I mean. And I want you to notice how the author begins, Genesis 41, verse 1, And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. Now, after two years of being forgotten, I mean, after two full years of feeling trapped in prison, suddenly Joseph experiences a turning point. And it begins with four simple words. Four words that catapult Joseph from the confines of his prison to the throne room of the palace. Did you see them when we read them? It's easy to miss them. Pharaoh had a dream. Now, Joseph was a man who had more challenges and crises in his life, his short life, than we'll experience in our whole life. I mean, he he was... Sold into slavery, he was accused of rape, he was thrown into prison, he was betrayed by his friend. And the scripture tells us that God is with him. I mean, the text doesn't point out specifically when Joseph realized God was with him. Now, I I suspect that when his brothers threw him in the bottom of that pit and sold him into slavery, it didn't feel like God was with him. And when Potiphar's wife accused him of of uh, rape, it didn't feel like God was with him. When he was thrown into prison, when he was betrayed by the butler, none of that felt like God was with him. But Joseph is coming to a place in this chapter, chapter 41, that he's beginning to see. He's found his set of polarized lenses, and he's starting to look at, life through a God-is-with-me lens. In fact, this day in Joseph's life started out like any other day for the past 13 years. He woke up in a dark, dank dungeon. The only difference between this day and any other day is that the night before, Pharaoh had a dream. And we saw last week that no one in the palace could interpret Pharaoh's dream. And it was at this point, the butler remembers Joseph and tells Pharaoh, Hey, there was this, this young Hebrew boy in prison with me who interpreted my dream accurately. And the next thing Joseph knows, he's been whisked out of his jail cell. They give him a haircut. They shave his face. They put on new clothes. They splash on a little Egyptian spice. To change the aroma. And he finds himself in the throne room standing before Pharaoh. I want you to notice what Pharaoh says. Skip down to verse 15. It says, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. Now, Joseph is standing in front of a man very few ever got to stand in front of. Oh, got to talk to I mean even less make eye contact with I mean this is Joseph's golden moment. This is his chance to make a favorable impression. Everything zeros in on the next five minutes. He blows that. it could cost him his life listen so he listens to what Pharaoh says about his dream, and then Joseph offers his interpretation. And last week, Chad showed us that as he interpreted the dream, he said, Pharaoh, your dream means that there's going to be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine in Egypt, the likes of which you have never seen. And then he concludes his interpretation by saying these things are established by God. In other words, there's nothing you can do to stop this. But Joseph doesn't stop there. I mean, you expect him to pause and measure Pharaoh's response, read his nonverbals to see if he's making a favorable impression. But Joseph doesn't skip a beat. He moves from dream interpretation to immediately giving Pharaoh advice. Notice he tells Pharaoh, Select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. And then he goes further. He tells him, here's what you need to do. You need to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years and store it for the seven years of famine. And I can imagine as Joseph finishes talking, everyone in the throne room is holding their collective breast. Did they, they're thinking, did this slave boy just tell Pharaoh what to do? You don't do that with Pharaoh. Well, maybe not. But it is exactly what a man or a woman who's absolutely sure God is with them would do when God tells them to do it. And so Joseph is presented with this grand opportunity. But he's not defined by it. He's not defined by thinking, I better get this right. This man holds my future in his hands. No, he doesn't. He's not even influenced by the idea. He doesn't even go down that path. You see, when you live with God at the helm of your life, when you look at the circumstances of your life, both the bad and the good, through a God is with me, his loving kindness is poured out upon me lens then you know that your future is not held in anyone's hands except God's. And so Pharaoh listens. He probably has a faraway look in his eye. He maybe strokes his chin. And everybody is waiting. What will Pharaoh say? Well, look at verse 37. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of all his servants. So what exactly did Pharaoh see in Joseph? Well, I think he saw the same thing Potiphar saw in Joseph when he put him in charge of his household. He saw the same thing the chief jailer saw in Joseph when he put him in charge of the entire jail. He saw a young Hebrew boy with nothing to prove. He saw security, humility, confidence coupled with strength and courage that could not be intimidated. I mean, he saw wisdom and discernment so unique Well, well, look what he says. He he says, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? I mean, can you see it? Joseph is living with such confidence that God is with him that Pharaoh ends up seeing the Spirit of God is in him. I mean, the fact of the matter is Joseph here in the text puts the reality of God on display in Pharaoh's court for everyone to see. I mean, Joseph was a man who interpreted life through a God is with me lens rather than a woe is me lens. And as a result, he didn't allow the circumstances of his life to define him, but instead allowed the reality of who God said he was to define him. You know, when I was in college my first few years, the Vietnam War was in full swing. And the number one thing every young lad was concerned about is being drafted. And so we would compare, you know, lottery numbers to see if yours was high or low. And if it was low, then you were kind of scampering around trying to find, you know, maybe a National Guard group to join. Or maybe you're going to enlist and say, I'm going to enlist in the Navy and pray they don't send you to Vietnam. So it was a shock when Doug who was at the University of Auburn, enlisted in the Army. And Doug requested to be sent to Vietnam. And when his friend said, Doug, are you crazy? What's the matter with you? Aren't you worried about being killed? Doug's answer was always the same. There's not a bullet or a bomb that can take my life without God's permission. Wow. That's a God is with me kind of lens. Now I want you to notice that having brought Joseph out of the prison and put him in the palace, Pharaoh now is going to elevate him from the palace to a position of prominence in his kingdom. Look at verse 39. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and shall, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. And only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. You know, if you live long enough, you begin to see that life tends to move in cycles. I mean, you've got the bad and the good. Brokenness, blessing. You have adversity and prosperity. And what can happen in the bad times as well as the good times is the circumstances of life can come to define who we are rather than being defined by who God says we are. Now, Joseph was a man who lived life at the extremes. Isn't that true? I mean, you think about it, he had more challenges and crises in his short life than you and I will ever face. And we're going to see in a few minutes, he also had more wealth and prosperity than you and I will ever know. And on top of both of these, well, he had more opportunity to pay back those who betrayed him than you and I will ever be handed. So, so I want you to think with me for a moment. What do you think is harder, to walk with God in prosperity or to walk with him in poverty? Prosperity? Prosperity? Or poverty. I mean, think about this: uh, to have wealth are to be in want. I mean, I think if we think about it logically, all of us agree that wealth and prosperity more than poverty and want have the greater potential for pulling us away from a walk, intimate walk with God. I mean, when we are in need, we pray, don't we? When all our needs are met, we don't pray. I mean, think about it. In the bad times, we feel our need for God, don't we? Or at least we feel our need for God to come and intervene and change our circumstances so we at least engage with Him. But during good times, we lose our touch. We lose touch with our need for God. And we fool ourselves into thinking, I can handle this. So we've seen Joseph in the past several chapters, how he responds to the bad times. The question is, how is he going to respond to the good times? And also, how? what did Pharaoh have in mind when he said, I'm going to appoint you in charge of my household and all the people of Egypt? Well, a careful look at the text, you'll discover that Joseph was given unprecedented authority. In other words, he was placed in charge of Egypt, he is appointed CEO of an entire country here. I mean, unprecedented authority. But but you need to notice that Pharaoh qualifies it when he says, only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. In other words, you get to run the country, I take the credit. That's what that means. But it's more than just putting Joseph in charge. Notice what else he does. Verse 42 and Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen, and he put a gold ring around a gold chain around his neck, and he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and he cried and they cried out before him, "Bow the knee!" So he set him over all the land of egypt and Joseph also, I mean, Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift a hand or foot in the land of Egypt. I mean, can you see what's going on here? Joseph is not only given unprecedented authority, he's given unprecedented wealth. He is given Pharaoh's signet ring. That's the equivalent of being given Pharaoh's signature. I mean, in today's language, it would be like being given... Pharaoh's American Express platinum card. I mean, do you see it? I mean, think about that. Prosperity is knocking on Joseph's door. Better yet, prosperity has knocked down Joseph's door. I mean, what would it be like to be given Bill Gates' American Express platinum card? What would you do? I love the way one commentator put it. He said, Joseph has gone full-blown hip-hop. Really? Really? Well, look at the text. He got a big fat gold ring. He got a big gold chain. He got a big mink coat. I mean, Joseph has gone from poor shepherd boy to guy in prison to J. Diddy, hasn't he? I mean, look what else it says. Uh, Pharaoh made him ride in the second chariot, not the rolls, but the escalade. An Egyptian chariot is an escalade. Uh, You know, chrome wheels spinners in the middle, DVD player, tinted windows that are gold, uh, subs, back seat massager, heated seats. I mean, only the best. And notice as well that Joseph has a posse. You can't be hip-hop without a posse. I mean, he's got men going before him saying, Bow the knee, bow the knee. Hey, ho, hey, ho. Joseph is coming. J. Diddy's coming. That's what's going on in the text. But notice, Joseph is not only given unprecedented authority and unprecedented wealth. He's given an unprecedented name. Verse 45, it says, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnafpaniah. Now, the meaning of Zaphnafpaniah has been debated for centuries. I mean, some say that it means Savior. Uh, but the majority of Egyptologists, I mean, it may, that may be true. But the majority of Egyptologists, because this is an Egyptian name, say the name zaphnath means "God speaks and He lives." Now, if that's true, then Joseph's name was a constant reminder to all of Egypt that Joseph true, uh, served the one true God that has come and rescued Egypt from this famine. Every time someone mentioned his name, it was a reminder to everyone who could hear it of the grace that the God of Israel has extended to the land of Egypt. And you can imagine, as a result, Joseph's name was in headlines. I mean, he was highly visible. I mean, what he did and said was noticed throughout the land and it says that all this took place in Joseph's life at the age of 30. Can you believe it? Look at verse 45. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout the land of all the land of Egypt. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, Joseph was not only given an unprecedented um, authority, unprecedented wealth, and a name, but I want you to notice it says that Joseph had unprecedented success. Look at the next verse, verse 47. Now, in the seven year, in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the house of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. And he laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. And Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea, until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. I mean, God gave Joseph unprecedented success. He was so successful that the grain that came in was so much it couldn't be counted. I mean, the text says it was as the sand of the sea. So Joseph saw great prosperity. He had great success and he had great power. And you can imagine people who have great power and prosperity, they face significant issues that probably the rest of us can't even fathom. I mean, people like that have the disadvantage of being in the public eye. And when you're in the public eye, I mean, all sorts of things can happen. You rarely win. And that's what Joseph is facing. In fact, you can remember back a number of years ago when Ronald Reagan was in the White House and Johnny Carson was on late night television. Carson quipped in one of his monologues, Ronald Reagan kept his mouth shut all day today. Tomorrow we'll find out what he meant by that. See, when you're in the public eye, like Reagan, you can step on all sorts of landmines. I mean, you don't even have to say a word and people think you're hiding something. So here's the question. Does all this prosperity, all this power, and this prominence change Joseph? Will he continue to walk with God? I mean, it's one thing to walk with Him when you're in need. It's another thing altogether when all your needs have been met. Well, I think the answer is found in the next verse. Look at verse fifty with me. It says, "And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Esneth, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore him. And Joseph named, uh, called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second he called." Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. I mean, did you see what he named his sons? By mentioning specifically their names, this is the author's way of revealing what's going on in Joseph's heart. I mean, he's making a statement. And the statement is, Joseph is still leaning into God. And you've got to remember, he names his sons after he's risen to the top. This is after he's J. Diddy. And notice, he gives them both Hebrew names. And that's important. But the most important thing is each one of their names is actually a play on words. I mean, the name Manasseh sounds like the Hebrew word for forget. And the name Ephraim sounds like the Hebrew word for fruitful. But the author doesn't want to just hint at it. He's scared we'll miss it. We'll just breeze past it. So to make sure there's no mistake in understanding what he's getting at, he spells it out specifically. Notice he tells us that Manasseh means God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And Ephraim means God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of of my affliction. I mean, do you see what Joseph is doing by naming his son these name? He, he he's saying that he will continue to follow the God of Israel, and it's the God of Israel who has blessed him and helped him forget the troubles that he faced in his father's house. Now, it wasn't that Joseph couldn't remember what took place when he was a kid in his dad's home. And in fact, the next chapter we're going to discover that he remembers it all when he sees his brothers again but by naming this son manasseh he's saying that the sting of all those bad things has disappeared i've let go I, i've i've released my grip i've let god be in charge of the fairness of it all in other words he's saying god would you, you have manasseh me And it was God who also made him fruitful in the midst of circumstances that brought him nothing but trouble. I mean, it's Joseph's way of saying, God, you have Ephraimed me. I mean, the author makes it clear in the midst of all this great prosperity, Joseph lives his days in unprecedented dedication to God. He becomes a man who follows God with his entire heart. But notice, things happened just the way Joseph said they would in verse 53. Uh, then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said, and the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. You see, platinum card, ring, robe, chariot, posse, Power, it didn't change Joseph. He's not less dependent upon God now in prosperity than when he was a slave. You see, he's not defined by the circumstances of life that swirl around him. I mean, whether he is in the pit or he's in the palace, he, he continues to look at life through a God is with me lens. In the bad times, as well as the good, he takes his God is with me lens as the controlling reality of his life. Now, we've got to remember that this is a real story. It's a real story about a real man who engaged with God. A real story about a real man who understood what it meant to live in the grace and mercy and acceptance of God. This is a story about a man who learned to live in light of Genesis 39-21. Do you remember what that said when we covered it a few weeks ago? It says this. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor. Now that word favor is the word grace. Did you know that's exactly what God has done for you? I mean, it's easy to look at this story and say, oh, that's Joseph. I'm different. I mean, that's Joseph. He's a biblical character, but not me. But did you know the same grace that was extended to Joseph has been extended to you? I mean, the only difference is that grace has been spelled out for us in the New Testament. I mean, we've can look at the New Testament and learn that we've been chosen by God. We are adopted into His family. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've been given God's Spirit to live inside us. He's promised us that He will never leave us, nor will He forsake us. I mean, living well, whether it's in good times or bad, is exactly what happens to the man or woman who is absolutely confident that God is with me. Imagine what would happen if you woke up every morning and went through your day by putting on the God is with me lenses. I mean, it would shape the decisions and choices you make during that day, wouldn't it? And it would shatter the death grip of fear and insecurity. And it would destroy the lie that says something or someone holds your future other than God. It would be powerful. So how do we do that? That's the question. Two words. Manasseh and Ephraim. I mean, the question is, what are you holding on to? What are you gripping tightly? Is it a grievance you've been nursing? Maybe it's an injustice that you just can't let go of that happened in your past. Or it could be... Woe is me, life's not fair attitude. What would it take just to loosen your grip and just release that to God and say, God, would you menace me? Would you take away the sting of that unfairness? Help me loosen my fingers from around it. And then you can pick up your God is with me lenses By reminding yourself that God is with you. He has said He'll never leave nor will He forsake you. (laughs) In your worst day, He doesn't love you less. And in your best day, He doesn't love you more. He delights in you. He, He yearns to grow close and draw close to each one of us. And you could ask God, would you Ephraim me? Would you make me fruitful in the midst of whatever affliction I might be facing? It's not governed by our circumstances. It's governed by the lenses we put on. Father, thank you that we are more than conquerors. And that conquering doesn't happen because of anything we do, but because of all that you've done. Would you remind us as we get up tomorrow morning that we have a choice of what kind of lenses will we put on would you remind us to put on not that woe is me lenses but the God is with me lenses and bring to attention the way that changes the way we move through life it's in Christ's name we pray Amen. Amen Well, I want to thank you for coming, if you came prepared to give offering boxes are out there in the hall just to the right, we make them kind of hard to find so just to the right and if this is your first time at Horizon or you have questions about uh, things at Horizon, we'd love to engage with you. And I want to invite you to drop by the hearth room, third door on the left as you leave. We've got some people down there that love to put a name with a face. So thanks for coming, and we'll see you back next week.